Here's my personal story of transformation. I hope you enjoy. And if you don't, you don't. (laughs) You are listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. It seems before 2015, but 2015 is really when I experienced a fundamental shift in the way that I interact with the world, a fundamental shift in the way I saw myself, the way I treated myself. Up until that point, I was really caught up in the idea that I had to strive for something all the time, that I had to be perfect, whether that meant the perfect daughter or the perfect girlfriend or successful in my career or a good singer. So I had done quite a bit of kind of self-help inquiry before that time in 2015. I also was a psychology major for my undergrad, and I was convinced that I was going to become a psychiatrist, actually. I envisioned a community where people actually got better, where people could be free to be themselves without judgment. And when I mean get better, I mean fundamentally move beyond um, coping skills, right? Because we do have a mental health system already in place where people do experience some relief by engaging in that system. But I envisioned something that would be a sustainable long-term change that wouldn't require such an ongoing effort, such a, that, that wouldn't require so much trying. And so as I was fumbling my way through my 20s and realized uh, that psychiatry wasn't the path for me. I actually, um, I did get accepted into uh, a medical school in Maine. And for some reason, at 21 years old, I decided uh, not to go. It was kind of a gut inclination. Um, The realization that it might be very difficult to try to change the system from the inside of the existing system. And instead, instead, my thoughts went in the direction of, a desire to create something uh, fundamentally new. And so I continued to work in my social work job after I declined acceptance. Uh, First I deferred a year, and then I ended up declining altogether. But I was working as a social worker at that time in New York City. So I continued uh, doing doing my my weekly uh, occupation there in New York City, meeting with the kids and families. And it did strike me at the time that it didn't matter how many professionals a child or family had access to because um, I was just one person of a much broader team. There were school psychologists involved. There were psychiatrists. There was um, case management uh, workers in, in addition to my role. Um, so, so many people really with the best of intentions to try to help this child thrive when they were struggling. But even though we, we set goals and um, the kids did make some progress towards those goals, it, it didn't feel fundamentally that there was a, a life-changing, you know, transformational shift in the way that the child related to themselves in the world and, and also the, the family and the greater community. So with that, I began to explore the idea of creating something that would kind of combine my two passions, right? This, this field of mental health and mental health education, mindset, well-being, and to merge that with my passion for singing and for music. So I remember quite clearly going into Google 
and I just Googled the words uh, life coach and music teacher. (laughs) And I ended up uh, coming across a gal that was living in Virginia at the time. Her name uh, is Heather. And I reached out to Heather and I just said, I I love what you're doing. Uh, I'd love to learn more about that. And so we began uh, a conversation where she shared with me a little bit about what she was doing and what she was seeing. And then she invited me to a retreat in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I love traveling. And I thought, well, that that sounds great. Sure. So I I decided to go to this uh, retreat in Virginia, um, (laughs) never even speaking with or meeting the actual facilitator of that retreat. It wasn't actually Heather. Heather herself was a participant that was putting together this women's group. Um, But the facilitator was going to be a gal named Jean Catherine Gray, who I'd never met. And so, um, you know, I, I, it was no problem. It just, it just seemed like a logical thing to do to go down to this retreat. I'd never been to Charlottesville and, and it sounded like fun. So I get there and I, I, I fork up the, the money. I think it, I mean, it was, it was a couple thousand dollars <laughs> and I just, uh, I don't know why I just didn't have a lot of thinking about, about paying that. Um, but I didn't, um, you know, and we can get into a whole conversation of the fact that I was in a position where I could pay that. And that is very true, but it also kind of, um, outshines the purpose of the story, which is, um, me just saying yes, a a natural yes. It just seemed like common sense to me to go and be involved in this four day women's retreat in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. On the first day, within the first couple minutes, it struck me that this is what I had been looking for. This was what the field of social work, the field of psychiatry, the overarching mental health system uh, was missing. Because what was being presented to me was something beyond theory, beyond opinions, even beyond psychological research, it really cut to the core of what's universal about human experience, and thus what's universal about our human psychological experience. And the first couple minutes, Jean uh, invited us to do a listening exercise. I remember my partner was a gal named Desiree, and um, Uh, And I remember coming out of that listening exercise with the realization that I had never really been listening to other people. I was suddenly aware of how much thinking, how much internal noise, how much personal distraction I was bringing to almost every conversation that I was having. That I wasn't really just sitting with a quiet mind myself and really listening deeply to the other person. It was always my intentions plus what the person was saying. So I realized in so many interactions I'd had at that time, I was listening with an agenda. Innocently, you know, um, I didn't realize I was doing that, but I was. I mean, I've got to be honest. I was listening with an agenda. I was listening to either um, get, you know, say things that would then make someone like me 
<laughs> or think I was smart or think I was a nice person or a cool person, or I was listening to try to pr- prove a point or listening to influence someone um, to believe more what, what I believed and what I thought to be true, right? Trying to influence others with my opinions. It was really incredible to realize that we're like an antenna. We can't be receiving and transmitting at the same time. So we can't be giving and receiving at the same time fully, right? And, and that's what I realized all, all my life or most of my life up until that point. I had been engaging with other people, but there was a lot of static in the way that I was showing up. And it really hindered or impacted negatively, uh, decreased my ability to, to really hear and see that person. And so that was my first kind of light bulb moment uh, on day one within the first few minutes of that exercise. As the days progressed, I began to feel a greater sense of calm and peace of mind and a natural letting go of all that pressure, all that striving, all that um, subconscious proving I was doing. I was trying to prove myself to the world in so many ways with everything I did. You know, it was like there was the joy of doing things, but then there was also this pressure as a child, as a teenager, as a young uh, person, a pressure to, to, to be accepted or to be valued or to feel important in addition to whatever the activity was I was engaging in, whether that was playing basketball or singing or um, going to school, going to university, whether that was in my job, and even in my relationships, that was showing up, that desire for approval. As the days went on, that began to simmer, that began to settle, that began to seem that habit of always wanting to feel important or valuable, that habit began to to just quiet down. And the second big realization or the second big aha moment that I had over that weekend that I still remember viscerally to this day was when I was in my hotel room, I wasn't even in the session. And it occurred to me like, oh my goodness. Everything is thought. Meaning, I realized that every experience that I'd ever had, every experience I would ever have, is going to be filtered through my own lens of reality, my own interpretation of events, of events my own uh, personal thought. I started to see how much of what I thought was true, right? I have to put this in another way. I began to see so much of what I thought was a hard fact about my life, about the way the world was, about how people were in my life. I began to see that that was not indeed a hard fact, it really essentially was my opinion. It was an opinion that felt real, right? Because I felt it and I was dedicated to my worldview and my personal belief systems that had been influenced um, 
through you know my entire life between cultural conditioning, um, how, you know the family I grew up in, the culture I grew up in, all of that, along with my own personal experiences and the meaning that I had made about what had happened to me up until that point, I realized that it was not fact. That realization allowed me to begin to put less meaning, less importance on all the things I thought I needed to do up until that point and all the things I had done wrong and thought I needed to change or improve about myself or the world. There was a loosening, a flexibility of life that emerged. And with that, a whole host of new possibilities opened up to me. Because if, we, if we're kind of unknowingly stuck in this rigid way of seeing ourselves in the world, by default, we are closing ourselves off to a whole host of other ideas, experiences, opportunities. We just can't see it, right? If we don't know something is possible, how could we <laughs> how could we experience it? Right? The real gift of that first retreat was that I I walked away with the knowing that fundamentally I'm I'm okay. I walked away with the realization that if and when times continued to get difficult or I had a difficult experience or even a beautiful experience, I, I kind of had a much more concrete direction to look. I had fundamentals that I could turn to that were always constant because they're universal for every human being. What I learned on that first retreat with Jean Catherine Gray, who I am eternally grateful to, <laughs> is I learned about principles of psychological experience, not theory, not things that worked for some people and didn't work for others, but it went deeper than that. I began to uncover what I suppose I always knew that there had to be a simpler way. And in fact, there really is. If we, if we begin to reflect on what's universal for human beings and we stop engaging in the thought storms and the emotional roller coasters of our personal ideas and beliefs. If we kind of zoom the lens out, we're able to get a bigger picture. And with that bigger picture, we're able to access grace and common sense a little bit more readily. And for me, that has made an immeasurable difference on my life over the past seven years. In the next episode, I want to share what even inspired me to start this particular podcast and what began to happen in my life 
after those magical, for lack of a better word, sounds silly, but really magical, um, transformative four days that I spent with Jean Catherine Gray in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2015. I wish you a wonderful day. And may you, you uncover for yourself greater simplicity, whatever that means and however that shows up for you in your life. I'll talk to you soon. This is Amy Leo. You've been listening to What We Should Have Learned in School.